Amen. We're going to get into the lesson. As Pastor mentioned last week, we talked about overcoming the curse of comparison and how it destroys our contentment, how many of us live unsatisfied lives because we're caught in the comparison trap. Well, this, this week we're going to set our sights on another C word that undermines our purpose and testimony. Somebody turn to your neighbor and say, comfort. Ask them, are you comfortable? Are you comfortable? Amen. Hopefully you won't be for very long tonight. We want to make you uncomfortable. Because tonight we are talking about overcoming the comfort of apathy. Somebody say that, overcoming the comfort of apathy. And so my, my prayer tonight for this message is that, um, that somebody would leave here uh, having heard from God, that God would significantly impact your life. I, I'm not naive enough to believe that everybody's going to walk out of here just blown away, but I pray that, that if, if, if you can tune in to what this lesson and what this part of the series is talking about, that you can leave here overcoming some apathy that has built up in your life. And so I, I want to introduce the message this way. We're, we're talking about overcoming different things, so I want to use an example that everybody can relate to. How many of you have ever read tragic news, uh, perhaps maybe on your social media or a prayer need, and responded with prayers? I'm, I'm praying for you, praying for you. Just raise your hand if you've ever done that. Maybe, maybe you just told somebody that in past and they told you, oh, I'll be praying for you. Now keep your hand up in the air. Go ahead, keep your hand up in the air. Now keep it in the air if, if you've ever gone on and you didn't pray for them. Amen. <laughs> Anybody else guilty of that? I just wanted to make sure I wasn't the only one in the room. How many of you will ever have experienced that? And then you come back later and you say, oh, no, I forgot to pray for that need. You know, we, we can be rocked by news. It can dominate our attention, another school shooting or something that happens. And before we know it, we have clicked right back out of that level of care, that level of concern, and... Uh, and, and we just kind of move on with our comfortable lives, and, and we really forget it. Fades to the back burner. And so uh, I got convicted about that a few years ago, and I try, and I determine not to be the person who offers prayers in comments or in passing and doesn't pray. So usually what I'll do, just a little tip, is I, I try to stop right there and pray. <laughs> Lord, it, it may not be a long prayer, but Lord, I, I don't want... I don't want to forget to pray for anybody, right? And so, you know, here's the thing is, is we, we all have grown so accustomed to so much bad news that it can become just another blip on our radar. One moment, moment we're posting, we're praying for you, and the next we're sharing a funny video of two cats that are uh, fighting. And we, we just, you know, forgot about the need that we were just concerned about a moment ago. A few weeks ago, my wife told me, and I... Uh, I'll just be the one to be transparent up here. She told me about a, a, a distant friend of ours that got cancer. And I, I thought, I told her, I said, man, that is terrible. We really need to pray for her. And then I poured a Diet Coke and went on with my day. <laughs> and, and that's what we do because the needs are not pressing on us. Somebody say apathy. It's easy to grow apathetic. In fact, we've been called the apathetic generation by some. Uh, that means we don't care a whole lot, we don't get involved very much, it's not worth the effort, it's a lack of concern, a lack of compassion, Is uh, that, that ain't my problem, it's none of my business, and, 
The word apathy literally means a lack of interest, enthusiasm, and concern. And it's not that we hate. In fact, one noted psychologist, Rollo May, uh, in his book, um, said that, that the opposite of love is not hate, it's apathy. It's not that you hate, it's that you just don't care that much. It's just not that big of a deal in your life. And so uh, I read a story today that illustrates what apathy is so well. There's a high school teacher um, that was hired to go in and take over a very difficult class. And um, in that class, did, did we get those passed out? If you, if you need a, a, a series guide, raise your hand. Uh, we have those. I always forget to announce that at the beginning. But in any case, this high school teacher went in and this class was noted to be um, an apathetic group. Is it was the kind of class you had to show up 10 minutes early so you could get the seat in the back. And then if you were late, you had to straggle in and sit in the front. And so the first day uh, of class, the teacher walked in and he had heard about this uh, problem in this class. And he was going to just address it right from the beginning. And so he went to the board and he wrote A-P-A-T-H-Y, apathy. One of the boys sitting on the front row yawned and said, Apathy. Turned to his friend sitting next to him and said, What is that? And he said, Who cares? That's apathy. <laughs> That's what apathy is. It's who cares. Not my problem. I, I can't deal with that or do anything about that anyways. And so I want to talk about how we can overcome the epidemic of apathy. In Luke chapter 10, uh, gives a perfect illustration of how apathy can creep into our lives. Because no one wakes up one day and says, I'm going to be apathetic about the issues that are around me in this world today. But Luke 10, uh, Jesus is approached by a scribe, an expert in the law, who wanted to test Jesus. And he asks Jesus a question. He, he wants to put him to the test, the King James Version says. And so he asks him this question, how do I inherit eternal life. Master, teacher, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? He's an expert in the law. He wants to know if Jesus knows his stuff. And so he asked him, how do I inherit eternal life? He's doing what a lot of people do. Uh, he's asking, what is the minimum requirement here? Like taking a chemistry test or a test in school. I want to do the least amount possible to get the desired result. What is the least I can do and get a passing grade? What do I need to do to just get by? How shall I inherit eternal life? And in Luke 10, 26, Jesus said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. In other words, Jesus says, that's great, good answer. Now do it. It's not just about knowing what the truth is. It's about living out the truth. Amen? This man was an expert in the law. This man had been studying from the time that he was a young man. He knew the law in and out. He knew the answer before he asked it. He wanted to see if Jesus knew what he was talking about. And Jesus found just the right way to sting him with his answer. He said, you have answered correctly. Now go do likewise. I don't believe that Jesus 
was just adding that on for no reason. I believe Jesus was reading his mail a little bit. As you know, everything about the law, you know how you're supposed to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And you're supposed to love your neighbor as, as yourself. But here you are talking to me about it. Jesus says, go do like you have said. And listen to this. Trying to justify himself. He, he recognized where Jesus was hitting in that tender spot. He says back to Jesus, well, who, who is my neighbor? We find out what his problem is. Is he loved God and he loved his religion, but he didn't love his neighbor. And he said, well, who then is my neighbor? Who do I have to love? Who do I have to care about? Is it? I remember asking the same question as a kid because I thought, well, like, that's weird. Why would God just ask you to love your neighbor? <laughs> I didn't really particularly like my neighbor. His mom was mean. <laughs> I wanted to know, how deep am I in trouble here? <laughs> Thank God we're blessed with, with pretty good neighbors now. But if you've ever had a bad neighbor, you maybe you ask the same question. Like, God, who, who is my neighbor again? And uh, Jesus doesn't answer him directly, but he answers him with the parable that we have probably all heard at one time or another. He answers him with the parable of the Good Samaritan. He says, who, who then is my neighbor? And Jesus tells him this story about a man who was going down to Jerusalem. Uh, uh, down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And as he's going on his way, he's caught by thieves and he's beaten and left for dead on the side of the road. It, it's a tragic moment in his life. He is abandoned and left to die. And Luke 10.30 says that a priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man laying on the side of the road, the scripture says he passed by on the other side. So too, Jesus says, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. This is a powerful image of what apathy really is. Because along comes a priest and here's a man that's hurting, he's broken, he's been robbed blind, he's been left for dead. And the priest who is a man who loves God, right, he, he's serving God, he's a man of God, walks by and sees this man and passes by on the other side. Don't want to get any blood on my church shoes. <laughs> he passes by on the other side. And then along comes a Levite. And when he came to the same place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. I don't know, may, maybe they thought it was a trap. Maybe they thought that he was going to jump up and he was the thief himself. Maybe they, they suspected his intentions or, or suspected the reality of what they saw, but the Bible says that they did not take the time to minister to him. They did not take the time to stop and help him. And so Jesus is, is weaving this story, and he says that the Levite came and passed him by. He says, but a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. And he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, set him on his own animal, and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day, he takes two denarii and gives them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more that you need to spend, whatever more it costs, I'll repay you when I come back. And Jesus leaves him with this question, Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the thieves? Who was the neighbor here? This is one of the most 
powerful images of apathy. And Jesus deals with it in such a succinct way. Because the image of apathy is people who say, well, that's not my problem. It's really not worth the effort. The risk is too much. I have things to do. And so we just pass on by. Anybody ever drove past somebody stranded on the side of the road? I would stop, but got stuff to do, got things to do. I was, I was on the way out of the neighborhood a few months back, and there was a, a teenage guy who was on his phone, and he spun out right by the fire department, and he had his, his, uh, his car straddled over the ditch. And I drove by, and luckily there was already a couple other cars there, so I, I didn't have to stop and help him. <laughs> But that's what's funny is that's what my thought was. Is man, he was texting on his phone. That could have taken up an afternoon. Somebody has taken their afternoon. Not my problem. Not my issue. He should have been not looking at his phone, especially right next to a school. A lot of reasons that we can, can give to pass on by issues. But our generation has an epidemic of apathy. And I'm not just talking about stopping when somebody has a flat. But, but this generation has been called the meh. Generation, you know anybody ever seen that word M E H meh? The other day I asked Jira how school was. She said meh. I said, what does that mean? She said meh. Not too great, not too bad, not really worth discussing, not worth engaging in conversation about, not worth taking my time to get into. And and why is it? Do you think that so many of us find it so difficult to care? about the things that Jesus says to care for, because we're the mad generation. Does that really interest me? We're going to go feed people at Grace Place this week. Meh. It takes a couple hours out of my Friday. It's in the middle of the day. Meh. Brother Kirkland, he's got the help, right? They called prayer meeting again. Meh. I've worked a long day. I'm sure somebody will really carry the mail for me tonight and really pray hard, right? Meh. I'm not really interested in that. These community groups, eh, eh. I got my own friends. I don't need to go spend time with those people. I got, I got plenty to do on my schedule. I don't need the church to help me out. I'm reading somebody's mail tonight. Why is it, think about this, that we can be wrecked, really bothered for a few minutes about an issue, about something that comes up, a tragedy or a need, and then we just easily slip on back into our comfortable lives. You turn on the news and you hear a story and your heart is torn out. How many of you ever gone deep on one of those stories and you couldn't get it out of your head for days at a time? We were all that way at 9-11. In fact, the world changed overnight in America on 9-11. People who weren't patriotic became patriotic. Why? Because suddenly we were concerned. We were concerned about our safety. We were concerned about our security. Before that, we, we didn't have a big concern about national. We were apathetic about national security. You could walk up to an airplane, no problem. Nobody frisked you. you, Does anybody remember those days? You could just, you could go meet the people flying in on a plane right at the gate. In fact, I listened to a podcast story of a lady the other day. She's a a comedian now, but she said she grew up really funny. uh, They wanted to go to New York to see their aunt, and so their dad convinced them that instead of spending money on a plane ticket, the two little girls, this has been 30, 40 years ago, they, they went into the airport and they said that they forgot to give something uh, to a family member who was on the airplane. Could they take it right quick? The stewardess said, sure, go on ahead. Well, they went and hid until the plane took off and jumped a plane to New York City. That, that was pre-9-11. 
Now they need to know everything, including your shoe size. Why? Because suddenly we cared. Suddenly it caught our attention, and we cared. Until five years later when we're standing in line, and it's backed up, and we're going to miss our plane, and all of a sudden we're just apathetic like we used to be. We, We have the ability to lose interest, enthusiasm, and concern about things. And that's what apathy is. And so we ask ourselves, why don't we care like Jesus calls us to care? Because listen, every day in our city, there are people who are bound by addiction. Every single day, we walk past people and we're around people whose family is in turmoil. People who are desperately lost. People who are desperately searching. People who need what we have. People who are seeking and searching for answers. But we've got things to do and places to go. And we're comfortable. And we can care for a minute when they get our attention, but it's easy to slip right on back into our schedule. And so why why don't we care? I want to talk for a few minutes about why we don't care like Jesus calls us to care. I, I pray that this gets a hold of somebody tonight. First of all, I want to tell you, one of the reasons we struggle to care is because the volume of information that we get is overwhelming. Anybody believe that? It's overwhelming. Just in your social media feed, you can read about an earthquake in Nepal, a cat who fell down a well that they're trying to dig out in Brazil, a car bomb went off in Syria. You got 17 friends with GoFundMe's, and it's hard to tell the difference between the one of somebody who's fighting to pay for cancer treatments and the other one who wants to take a vacation but didn't save up any money. Amen. Just going to scoot on past that. We slide it on down. There's a funny video. There's another person who saw Jesus in a piece of toast, and, and we get all of this information being pushed to us, and, and we just can't care about it all. There's too many things to care about, too many causes. Everybody's got a cause today. Everybody's offended today. Anybody notice that? As you can post the most benign, innocent thing online, and you can have a whole segment of society decide they're going to attack you and come after you because you touched on the issue that offends them. And you may have never known they existed before. Why? We don't have time to care about everything that people say we should care about. The volume of information is overwhelming we are constantly bombarded by real needs real hurts real problems real issues in our world real things going on all around us and it's hard to care about them all we have what's called um, information overload there was a study a few years ago to find out how much information the human brain downloads in a day how much information we're getting And it is 34 gigabytes. 34 gigabytes of information that we're taking in every single day. If you don't know how much information, that's a lot of information. I know that doesn't seem like a lot, but just a few years ago, you couldn't get 32 gigabytes on a cell phone. And so, understand this. 34 gigabytes of stuff coming at you every day, and all of it vying for your attention, and vying for your concern, and vying for your care. With the current 24-hour news cycle, unlimited access to advice, 
academic knowledge, expert opinions, unlimited options for where, when, how, and from whom we want to hear it. Information overload is pretty much inescapable today. Our social media feeds are constantly pushing it to us. So much so that the importance of issues that God put in front of us are diluted and lost in the rushing river of inflow flowing to and through us. Anybody ever dropped something in a river that was flowing away from you and tried to get it back? I've done that a few times, out fishing or, or, uh, or out riding in, in a canoe or a kayak, as if you drop something in the river before you can get to it, it can be long gone. If you don't believe me, drop a 20 on a windy day. See how you feel. It's, I want it back, but I just can't get to it. And, and that, that is what we're dealing with informationally is it comes to us and it whizzes by us. And it's hard to get a hold of anything. And so we, we, we have a hard time caring because the volume of information that is coming to us is just overwhelming us. Second, we also feel helpless to make a change. The truth is that many of us do care about what we see and what we hear. And you'd like to do something about it, but you're thinking, who am I? I'm only one person. I don't have a lot of money. I can't even get to that place. How can I make a difference? Anybody ever seen that? It's seen missions, trips, and, and, and pictures of things coming at you. Oh, man, it grasps your heart and you pray for it. But what can I really do about that? We feel helpless to make a change. And it's really hard to care about something that you can't do much about. I want to do something, but I'm down here in my life, and I live in a real world, and I'm dealing with my own things, trying to make a living, trying to pass a class, trying to potty train a two-year-old. If you never potty trained a two-year-old, it takes a lot of time. Amen. We, had to, we bought toys. <laughs> we did everything. Just please, just go in there and use the potty. Please. For days and weeks on end, Please. And it was Jaira. Y'all, y'all remember that. She's not here tonight. It was Jaira. It wasn't a boy. It was Jaira. She'll kill me later. Okay. I hope y'all care about it. <laughs> Whatever it is, I, I really do care. And we say things that I, I really want to help, but I don't think I can make that big of a difference. And so why, why don't we care like Jesus called us to care? Because the volume of what we're exposed to is overwhelming. And we, we really feel like we can't make a difference. You see, we, we are blessed and cursed with comfort. Perhaps the most relevant and painful thought in all this is that we are both blessed and cursed with comfort. I, I would venture to say we live in the most comfortable society that's ever existed on the face of the earth. We are so incredibly blessed with comfort. Every now and then... You just have to go, step back and acknowledge that. We have it pretty good. We have to embrace that. We live pretty easy lives because virtually everybody here tonight, the vast majority of us are incredibly blessed with comfort. We're, we have the things that we need, full bellies, clothes to put on, uh, roof to sleep under tonight. The vast majority of us in this society have everything that we need, all of our needs attended to and met. And we are incredibly blessed with comfort. This is how blessed with comfort we are. I'm a little late to things, but the other day I found the Chick-fil-A app. Does anybody use the Chick-fil-A app? Feel my help coming. 
The Chick-fil-A app is an amazing app. I know what you're thinking. It's just a, just a restaurant app. But see, Chick-fil-A is, is just about a little over a mile that way. And I can sit at my desk when I want to go eat lunch. And sometimes if you're a little late to the mall, that line can get pretty long. There might be a field trip there. If you've ever been there at lunchtime and walked up and seen 15 buses outside, you know you're fixing to wait in line. But about two weeks ago, I got on the Chick-fil-A app, and I ordered a chicken sandwich sitting at my desk. Woo! I was getting excited about it. I ordered the chicken sandwich at my desk, and I've got to confess, I lied to the Chick-fil-A app because when I was coming over the bridge on Garrett, I pressed, I'm here on the app. I wasn't there. But you press, I'm here, and they start making your food. I pressed, I'm here, and I pulled up into my parking spot at the mall, and a little notification beeped on my phone, your food is ready, waiting at the counter for you. And I walked in, and there had to be about 150 people in line. It was the best day I've had in a long time. (laughs) Look at all of these jokers. They don't know what's going on. They're standing in line. They're going to be here for a while. School teachers getting mad because they're behind schedule. Uh, a, a couple different school worth. I, I don't remember what jerseys, some, some kind of teens they had to turn them. I don't know. Just kids everywhere. And I walked straight up, grabbed my Chick-fil-A bag, went and sat down, and I had a chicken sandwich in my hands and going into my mouth in 30 seconds flat. We live a life of comfort. I didn't even have to wait in line. I didn't even have to pay. My, my card's already on my Chick-fil-A app. I just pressed the button, and, and I showed up. My food was ready. The people said it was their pleasure to serve me. I didn't even see those people but for four seconds, but it was their pleasure. And that's a life of comfort. Not only that, but how many of you shop on Amazon? You need something at the house. You don't even have to go to the store for it. You just press a button. In fact, you don't even have to press a button. If you've got Alexa, you can say, Alexa, I need toilet paper. Send toilet paper to my house. And two days later, the the Lord of Amazon Prime will have moved on your behalf. (laughs) Somebody say comfort. You know, when I remember back in the day, you had to wait to watch your favorite TV show. You had to wait till next week to see what happened. Not anymore. You can binge it on Netflix. You don't have to wait for anything. And if you don't think that you live a comfortable life, let the AC go out. Let the car break down and have no ride for a few days. Let the Wi-Fi go out, young people. You think you're living in a cave. We live lives, we're blessed with comfort. So many things at our disposal. But listen to this, we're also cursed with comfort. Because what's so difficult is that the more comfortable our lives become, the more life tends to be about us. How easy it is for me. How convenient it is for me. Sorry, Pastor, I can't serve. I've got other things going and I really don't want to. Sorry, I don't have time to invest in my kids or or invest in my church. I don't have time to spend with somebody that's hurting. I don't have time to sit down and do a Bible study with a family member because I've got things going in my life. And the more comfortable we become, the more focused we are on our own issues. Like those in the parable who pass by the wounded man. We just don't have the bandwidth to take on the issues and the needs of others because we are busy keeping our comfort at an acceptable level. And listen to me tonight. Our world goes smaller and more selfish with more comfort. 
The book of Haggai is one of my favorite books of the Bible. Because in the Haggai generation, they had a problem of apathy. Haggai was a post-exilic prophet, which means that he came after the exile in Babylon. Israel had come back to the city of Jerusalem and were rebuilding. And we know the story. They rebuilt and began to lay the foundation of the temple. They were excited. There was... There was an anointing uh, on the people of God to come back and rebuild what captivity had destroyed. And they come back to uh, Jerusalem and they lay the foundation of the temple. And the Bible says when the foundation is laid that there is great celebration among some and great weeping among others. But the foundation is laid. And after they lay the foundation, they go about building their own houses. And they, they put the project of God's work on pause and they start building their own homes and their own lives and they're too busy to rebuild a house of mercy for others and perhaps among the priests and leaders they ask for help next Tuesday but sorry you know we're we're still working on the back porch sorry we've got a, we just started another project and we we just get through this house project pastor will be there we'll help build the work of God And God sends the prophet Haggai to wake up the nation of Israel because for 20 years the foundation of the temple is not touched. The the cause of God is not advanced. For 20 years they're building their own stuff. They're building their businesses and they're building their houses and they're they're doing all of this stuff that that pertains to themselves. And and God sends a prophet. In Haggai 1.4 he says, Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house... Lies in ruins. Why, why did God awaken and, and, and stir up Haggai? Because the people begin to say, the time has not yet come to build the house of the Lord. We just don't have time right now. We've got our own stuff. We've got to get comfortable. We've got to build our own houses. We've got to, we've got to get our family in a nice, safe, secure place. And, and they said, it's not time. And so God sends a prophet to say, is it time for you to dwell in your paneled house while the house of God lies in ruins? Now, therefore, says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Listen, he says, consider how you're living. Take a look at what you're doing. He says, you're you're investing in your own house. He says, you've sown much, but you've harvested little. He said, you eat, but you never have enough. You never have your fill. You, 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 you never have enough to drink. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so and puts them into a bag with holes. And thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Look at how you're living. Everything is all about you and your comfort and your mission and your plan and your ideas and your values. And he says, think about how you're living. You're doing all of this and your life is no better. Consider your ways. He tells him the answer. He says, your life is struggling and frustrated, not because you haven't tried hard enough for your own comfort. He says, consider your ways. Go up to the hills, bring wood, and build the house that I may take pleasure in it, and that I may be glorified. He said, you look for much, and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, God said, I blew it away. I wouldn't let you succeed in being selfish. Why? 
Because the Lord of hosts declares, because of my own house that lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with his own house. What was the issue with the Levite and the priest? They had their own stuff going on. They weren't any different than you and me. They passed by a broken and dying man because they were busy and they had stuff to do and it was inconvenient and there was a risk and and they would have to put themselves out there and they would have to spend their own money and they would have to sacrifice, God forbid, they would have to sacrifice to help somebody in need. Listen, maybe the reason that you're struggling with your own issues is because you are at the center of your own purpose. Maybe the real reason you're struggling so much in life is because it's all about you. I believe that one of the fastest ways to turn your life around is to start investing in other people. Start caring about other people. God turned the captivity of Job when? Job, I mean, they talked. I just got finished reading the book of Job. They talked and they talked and they talked and they postulated And they theologized, they did all that. And when all of it was said and done, God had a rebuke for most of what they said. God had some questions for Job. And and when God revealed to Job how wrong his friends were, you know what Job did? Job got his eyes off of his own problems. And he said, God, be merciful to them. God, be graceful to them. They're just trying to grapple with how this could happen in my life. Be graceful to them, God. Be merciful. And God, the Bible says, turn the captivity of Job. You want to see a turnaround? It's, It's break out of the curse and of the comfort of apathy and start caring about people around you, issues that are around you. Things that God cares about. Start investing in the work of God. Start investing in ministering to hurting and broken people. I, I know, uh, I don't want to seem like I'm, I'm just kissing up to the teacher, but I love our pastor and his wife because they invest in hurting and broken people. They spend real time. I want to be a part of a church that cares about the broken and the hurting. I want to be a part of a church that is a place of worship for all people. A place that anybody with any past can come and they can find help and hope for the future. That's why I invest here. That's why I give my time here. It's not just because I'm on staff. I want to be here because God cares about people and we're investing in people. God says to Haggai's generation, the reason the heavens above you withheld the dew and the earth withheld its produce. He said, I called for a drought. I did that. I let it dry up because you were building your own houses and you got caught up in your own comfort. See, comfort's like a little, it's like a drug. When we get a little bit of it, we want a little bit more of it. A little bit more. Kind of like chicken strips. (laughs) Amen. Maybe I'm just preaching to myself. Before long, as Christians, we're actually trying to leverage God as the God who gets us what we want. I want to go to a church that makes me feel comfortable, where I don't have to do too much. I want to go where the preacher doesn't make me feel guilty. I want a God who makes my headache go away and my bank account go through the roof. I don't want to hurt. I don't want to suffer, God. I, I want to do whatever it takes to make me more comfortable. And I want you to do whatever it takes to make me more comfortable because we are blessed And we're cursed with comfort. And the greater our comfort grows, the more life can easily become just about me. So, how do we overcome the comfort of apathy? This is the last couple minutes I'm going to share with you how how you overcome the comfort of apathy. 
Number one is you consistently expose yourself to something that creates a righteous discomfort. You consistently expose yourself to something that creates a righteous discomfort. Consistently expose yourself to something that makes you uncomfortable. Someone say consistently. It's a lot of words there, but that's an important one. Because if there's a lack of consistency, there will be a lack of interest. We must consistently expose ourselves to something that pushes us. Because when we lack consistency, we lack interest. In other words, I, I can get real excited about outreach for a little while and reaching the lost, but if, if I spend all of my time with saved folks and none of my time with the lost, it's easy to stop. Every single one of you have hurt at any time in your life. Know that you can hurt for a little while. But if you're not consistently exposed to that which hurts you, the pain subsides over time, doesn't it? The discomfort subsides over time. And it becomes a distant memory. And it doesn't seem as bad as it really was after the fact. Because uh, your, your self-interest begins to come back. And, and, and you forget about the pain. You forget about the concern you had. Does anybody have one of those personalities where you get really invested into something for a while and you, you pay a lot of attention and you study it and you look at it? My dad has this personality. Whatever hobby he gets in, he's going to get all the way in. He's an extremist. Everything he's going to do, he's going to do it all the way. I remember hours and hours him researching different things he got into. Hours. Printing out pages on the internet like that. You don't have to print it. You could just read it. Printing it out like he's going to revisit it later. Consistently exposing yourself to a need breeds a burden. We, we had a Bible college teacher named Jim Sleever. He was the outreach guy. He'd go into these rough neighborhoods in uh, Indianapolis, and he would bring bread. Um, he, he called them bread runs, and we would laugh about it at Bible college like he's going to win the world uh, taking bread to these people. But what we didn't understand is we were you know, rich kids at Bible college on mom and dad's paycheck. And these people were looking for any groceries. And consistently, every day, he would go out and take bread to these people. He'd, he'd get the leftover bread from a, a factory and, and stuff that had, like, little just, you know, uh, little inconsistencies in the bread. And they would give it to him, and he would go distribute it. And he always said this in our outreach class. He said, exposure breeds a burden. Exposure breeds a burden. He drilled that into us. Exposure breeds a burden. He said, if you guys will just come with me. On these bread runs, you'll understand why I do what I do. If you'll just get out of your comfort zone and get to a place and expose yourself to a need, you'll see why I do what I do. Because it's not just about bread. It's about ministering to people that are in need. And it's about opening up doors. And the more that you're exposed to something, the more that you care about it. And so when we aren't consistently exposed in our daily lives to a need, a burden will wash away. Because life will come along and work and school and bills and the broke down car. They'll dominate our attention. And the only way to overcome it is through consistent exposure. We need a righteous discomfort. And the final thing is, I want to I talk about how to channel your passion. I only got a, a minute here. Is We need to consistently expose ourselves to a need. But we also need to focus on something. So I say focus on something. Many things will catch your attention. 
but few will capture your heart. And rather than making a little difference in many places, perhaps you could readjust your view tonight and try to make a big difference in a few places. You can't put out every fire in the world. But I believe that in each one of us, God has put us here to make a difference in some area. There's something that you can do to shine. Jesus says, shine. Let your light shine. Listen to this. So that men may see your deeds. Somebody say your deeds. Not see what you say about the issue. Let them see your deeds. Let them see what you're doing and glorify God. Nobody glorifies God when you talk about it. But if you'll interject yourself into the issue. Maybe it's, there, there's so many issues, so many things. There, there is justice for the unborn. There's racial injustice. There's human trafficking. Uh, nations that need clean water. Cancer research. Foster kids in a, adoption. There's student ministry. Overseas missions. Discipleship. Uh, me, mental illness. People with mental illness. There, there are people that are struggling with addictions of pornography or alcohol. Or drug. There are so many directions you can go. But understand this. God has put a few in your life that you can make a difference in. So find something and focus on something and go after that because the more you're exposed to it, the more you'll be passionate about it. And listen, you don't have to be a pioneer. Join somebody else who's doing it. There's somebody in this city that is ministering to the need that God gave you a burden for. You can be focused. Jesus was focused. Jesus constantly said the same thing different ways. He said, I've come that they might have life. He said... I've come to call not the righteous, but sinners to repentance. He said, the whole have no need of a physician, but they that are sick. I came to set the captives free. I came to seek and save that which was lost. And Jesus stayed focused on the issues in front of him. He knew why he was here. So I hope tonight you'll let God speak to you about why you are here. And focus on something last thing I want to leave you with is learn to embrace what hurts. Sometimes our initial reaction to a burden is to back away and say, God, I can't do that. I can't help them. I can't make a difference there, God. The need is so great. But we've got to learn that it's easier to hurt with a purpose than to exist without one. And listen, Christians, I'm not going to wax eloquent at the end of this. But if I don't leave you with anything else, is God put you here for a reason. And I pray that tonight you leave here and say that it's easier to exist with a burden than it is to exist without one. It's easier to hurt with a purpose than it is to exist. There's so many Christians that don't have a purpose. They just come to church and they pray, it's my salvation, it's my needs, it's all the things that are going on in my life. And God is over here saying, would somebody build the work? You'll build the temple. God will bless you. God will keep you. God will make his face to shine upon you. You see, there are people who shine, and they're the ones who care. Moses was blessed with a burden. He said, let my people go. And the reason we know his name today is because he was blessed with a burden. David was blessed with a burden when he said, who are you, Goliath, to come against the armies of our God? Is there not a cause in Israel? Nehemiah was blessed with a burden to rebuild the walls. 
and fight for his brothers. And Jesus was blessed with a burden. He said, I see them. And when he saw that they were sheep without a shepherd, he had compassion on them. And so how do you overcome apathy? It's consistently expose yourself to a need. Focus on that need and embrace the idea that you're going to have to carry a burden. Jesus said, if any man would follow me, let him take up his cross.